pile of sweets. Do you call them sweetmeats as folks did in Tudor times? Pass under my nose at this time of year. So March pain, do you call it marzipan as Bella's family does, is a feature in this podcast. Hey, welcome to the past. I'm so pleased you've downloaded this 28th episode of Tales from Tudor Times. This podcast is a companion to my series of romantic suspense books with time travel twists. The first of these novels is Tangled in Tudor Times. By the way, if you haven't picked up Tangled in Tudor Times yet, it's on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback. There's so much history that doesn't fit into a novel, and that's where these historical tidbits casts come in. Like our Tangled in Tudor Times heroine, Bella Salas, these are things you might notice if you're unexpectedly tossed into the 16th century. This episode is Hedgehogs, March Pain, and Tudor Predators. In this episode, we discuss Making March Pain in a Tudor Kitchen, hedgehogs, and predators. By the way, the Tudors reigned from 1485 to 1603. When I mention the reign of Queen Elizabeth I's daddy, Henry VIII, I'm talking about the second Tudor ruler who reigned from 1509 to 1547. This is sometimes called the Henrician era, even though his father was also a Henry VII. When I refer to the Elizabethans or the Elizabethan era, I'm talking about the period between 1558 and 1603, when the last Tudor monarch, Elizabeth I, was on the throne. I stood beneath the arched doorway looking around. The low, exposed beams made the priory kitchen feel friendly. The chamber was not only practical, it was also elegant. I stopped to run my fingers over the ancient oak doorframe, thinking of the generations of nuns who must have enjoyed rubbing these same rich carvings. I was happy Lady Hobie had sent me to run her errand. The large, well-lit room with its elaborately carved woodwork, long shelves holding heavy pottery kitchenware, and freshly whitewashed walls was not only beautiful, it was also filled with the enticing aroma of the Hobie's next meal. I lifted my nose to enjoy the scents of rosemary, sage, and mint. I had picked these herbs myself from the Priory's kitchen garden. Hannah looked up from her perch on the high stool, where she was shelling almonds, and nodded my way. We heard that Miss Lucy was shamed by her mother, she said, shaking her head. Cook wiped her rosy face on her pristine linen smock and looked sternly at the maid. No needs for you to gossip about your betters, gal. Did you put the currants into the lamb stew, as I told you? Yes, cook, Hannah replied submissively. The older woman peered into the deep oven, coming up with her face flushed. Both the fig and fish pies must needs be in for a good bit more. She took down a pewter ladle that was hanging on the wall above, stirred the contents of an immense cast-iron pot, and looked thoughtful. The old red hen needs plenty more stirring time. We have the dough and apples ready. I'll fry those fritters on the griddle 
just before the family sits down. Sir Thomas likes him good and hot. Mayhap now I'll have ye. I held out the linen-wrapped packet the mistress of the house had directed me to bring. Cook, Lady Hobie requested you use this to make something special for Master Pip and Mistress Lucy. The woman laid the packet at the end of her well-scrubbed board, whisked the toweling off a large golden-brown cone, and smiled. Mistress Lucy loves sugar. My lady doesn't never stay angered with her children long. She looked toward the bowl of almonds Hannah had just finished shelling. I were going to use those for comfits made with the preserved quince, but the children will like marchpane sweetmeats much better. She began to grate the sugar tower. I'll show ye how to do this, Hannah. Do ye pay attention? You'll need to flake it just so, and not waste any. It took me a minute to realize that Cook's marchpane was the same sweet almond paste my abuela calls marzipan in my own time. Abuela buys it ready-made and forms it into decorative figures to top off cakes and pies on festive occasions. Having been instructed in the art of flaking the large grain sugar, Hannah was next set to work with a mortar and pestle to grind her shelled almonds. Cook then carefully mixed the prepared sugar with the ground nuts and a scant few drops of Lady Hobie's rose water. Hannah was then sent out to the poultry run. With the addition of an egg white from one of Lady Hobie's hens, the flavored ground ingredients were converted into a sticky dough, something Abuela would have done with a food processor. By the time Jim Jenks rang the dinner bell, a large platter full of familiar sugary creatures was ready to present to the family. Lucy sat in the kitchen garden with her hedgehog curled in her lap. The little animal looked almost exactly like the formed sweet almond paste comfits the Hobies had enjoyed at the evening meal. Lucy turned Hyacinth over carefully in her palms and tickled her pet's coarse belly hairs. The little creatures wiggled slowly in obvious pleasure. The girl drew the safe feeling of the kitchen garden about her like a warm cloak. Here, between its walls, she could be by herself and still feel safe. She leaned back against the trunk of an apricot tree and stroked the hedgehog's fur. She hadn't been left alone for weeks. Alice had been going everywhere she went, sticking to her like a prickly clot burr. Lucy had heard the rumors that someone had attacked local girls and knew why her friend was watching over her. She appreciated Alice's care, but having a constant companion meant she felt obligated to talk whether she felt like it or not. Sometimes she just wanted to enjoy her own thoughts. What she most liked when she was alone was to imagine she was someone in a story. When she had been visiting at her aunt and uncle's manor, Alice's mother had come over to see her daughter. Lucy had sat in the garden with the two of them, and Carmen had reminisced about her life as a Mexica in the lands people called the New World. It was a much better story than Lady Hobie's recent talk about girls turning into young ladies and finding husbands. In the New World lands, there were tall, thin trees with scalloped trunks that waved back and forth in the breezes. Their branches stuck up straight from the top of those trunks like long green feathers. 
flowers with brilliantly colored red, orange, and purple petals carpeted the ground. Carmen had told them there was nothing like them in England. And best yet, women and girls didn't wear layers of clothing. They only covered the most essential parts of their bodies. Lucy cuddled the hedgehog between her palms. Someday, somehow, she was going to be a part of Carmen's story, sail to that land and see those sights and people for herself. She came out of her reverie to find Hyacinth's body rolled into a tight ball. The hedgehog was a timid creature, easily frightened by unusual noises or smells. Before Lucy could calm her, Hyacinth dug her quills into the girl's palm, then jumped off her lap. The forget-me-nots by the hedgehog's front door trembled as the little animal shot into the wattle-and-daub plastered drain pipe that served as her little house. Lucy latched the bit of framed screen that kept her pet safe from predators and straightened up. The light had changed while she sat daydreaming. Something was wrong in her peaceful walled sanctuary. A strange cloying odor hung heavy in the air. It came from a man who had slipped in behind her. Unlike her hedgehog, Lucy wasn't safe from predators. Before she could move, he grabbed her. Want to hear more about Bella's visit to the Elizabethan era? Tangled in Tudor Times is available at Amazon.com as either an ebook or a paperback. Look for Tangled in Tudor Times on Amazon.com by clicking on the description link in your podcast app. Or search Amazon for Tangled in Tudor Times. And if you're wondering about leaving a short review or just clicking the stars that indicate your opinion, please do. Reviews help me move up in the Amazon queue so that more people will see this book. See you in the 16th century. (laughs) 